0: Let us pray. Gracious God, I ask that you speak to each of us a word that we need to hear. Give us courage, hope, and a belief that you are with us in all things. May these words, my, my words, inspire us. And if my words are not your words, then close up folks' ears for a while and then open them again when you are the one speaking. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Today's reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. You can follow along on page 151 in your New Testaments of your Bible. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. This is Paul speaking to the church. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, pursue hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Writer and blogger and business guru Seth Godin believes that to create, to form leaders, to create leaders from the ranks of everyday people, you need two things to accomplish that. The first thing you need to create leaders is a tribe, a group of people who have come together around a common interest or a common goal a tribe he believes is necessary to create leaders because tribes do not typically tolerate mediocrity. They gather together in all their diversity because they have something to say, something they believe will make things better. To create leaders out of the ranks of everyday people, you need a group to instill and reinforce the values and beliefs that are necessary for the world to change. That's the first thing you need. The second thing you need is a vacuum. Not a vacuum, but a vacuum. Little Hands Virginia was founded in 2019 by Taylor Keeney. When Taylor learned she was pregnant with her second child, she went looking for a place to donate some new and some gently used baby items. But she couldn't find a place. So she started having conversations with leaders in the social service community about whether an organization that collected and distributed items for babies was needed. The answer was a resounding yes, it was. So Little Hands began in Taylor's garage in August of 2019. By the new year, the ministry had grown to with over a dozen community partners identifying children and families in need of support. In the fall of 2020, in response to the growing need, Little Hands hired their first paid staff person, FPC Zone Ashley Raji. Ashley and Taylor, you see, were part of a mom's group here at the church where they offered support during the early and often challenging years of parenting. Now, when Ashley first heard Taylor describe the dream, the hope, the idea of Little Hands, She knew, in her heart, it was something she needed to be a part of. She felt that call, that pull, that tug to get involved. Four years later, fast forward, Little Hands now has a network of over 60 community partners to help them identify families in need. In a typical month, they fill about 180 direct requests for needed items for families, like strollers and diapers and clothes. Ashley shared with me recently that while her faith informs her work with Little Hands for the obvious reasons that she's helping the most vulnerable in our community, what has been even more powerful for her is how her faith in God and each other has been strengthened by seeing and participating in the generosity and the compassion of other people. Now, the story of Little Hands that started here is extraordinary, but it's not really that extraordinary or that surprising, really. Because it's often from faith communities like this one that God calls, tugs, pulls at people like you and me to respond when we see a need, to do what we can to care for others, or as Paul puts it, to contribute to the needs of the saints, to pursue hospitality to strangers. We collectively, as a people, a tribe, a family of faith, we believe the world can be a better place. This is one of the foundational truths that we gather around Sunday after Sunday. So it should be no surprise to us then that the God who is good, the God who loves us, calls us into action to live out the value we claim, to respond in real time. To real human need in real ways. Hold fast, love, rejoice, be patient, contribute, bless, live, feed, give, overcome. These are the action verbs that Paul lays out in his letter to the church. These are the movements we are called to in the work of faith. Faith for Paul, it seems, is not primarily defined by what one thinks or believes. For him, faith is defined rather by what one does in response to what one believes. Lyman T. Johnson was born in Columbia, Tennessee in 1905, the eighth of nine children and the grandson of four former slaves. Johnson's father, graduated from college, and taught his son to see education as a tool for racial advancement. Johnson is best known for breaking the racial barrier at the University of Kentucky. In 1949, he became the first African American to attend classes there after challenging a state law against the integration of universities. As a teacher at Central High School in Louisville for 33 years, he was the forefront of denouncing discrimination in all its forms. During the civil rights movement, he led the struggle to integrate Jefferson County neighborhoods, the swimming pools, the schools, and even the restaurants. Johnson was never afraid to jump in, to respond to that call, that pull, that tug, and make a difference. Supported and encouraged by a group of other local activists known as Johnson and his gang, through his actions, big and small, he changed his community and his state for good. The story goes that one of his favorite actions was jumping into all-white swimming pools on a hot summer day, which would lead back then to the pool being closed and then drained of all its water. Lyman was so persistent in this tactic that the managers of the pools grew so tired of paying the cost of closing, draining, and then refilling the pool every time he jumped in that they were the ones who ended the segregation of pools in the county. I just love the simplicity and the boldness of changing the world by putting on a swimsuit and jumping in a pool. His changing the world took nothing less, nothing more than being willing to literally jump in. Now, Johnson may not be remembered as a civil rights giant like Martin Luther King Jr. or Rosa Parks, but stories like his are no less remarkable because without them, without the actions of thousands of foot soldiers fighting for justice in their hometowns, nothing would have changed. It's not what you believe. It's how you respond and do and respond to what you believe to be true. Lyman T. Johnson hated what was evil, he held fast to what was good, and then he watched the world change. To meet the challenges before us, we're going to need leaders, lots and lots of leaders from the ranks of ordinary people like you and me, people who are willing to step up and jump in. We cannot wait for magical heroes to appear. We are the heroes the world is waiting for. To ensure our nation, our our city, our community lives up to its creed that all are created equal, we need people of faith to get to work, to work for justice and peace, to work for mercy and compassion, to work for unity and reconciliation. And no one, in my opinion, is better equipped to do this work than those who know, as we do, that they are loved and claimed and equipped by the living God. Are you tired of partisan bickering in politics? Run for office. Show up. Speak out. Vote. Are you worried about the state of our public schools? Volunteer at one of our partner schools. Advocate for teachers and administrators. Teach if you feel called to. Are you concerned about wealth inequality? Research the issue. Support nonprofits that work with the poor. Advocate, listen, and learn. Kids, do you think your schools are not taking seriously the needs of some of your classmates? Talk to your teachers. Demand a meeting with administration. Speak up for your friends who are misunderstood and sometimes even mistreated. Whatever it may be, If you feel a pull, a tug, to get involved, to jump in, to do the work, don't ignore it. Respond to it. And importantly, this is important, do not try to do it alone. When you're thinking about responding, jumping in, answering that call, reach out to people here in the pews, people in this church. Reach out to them for stories of hope, stories of success. Reach out to them to hear words of encouragement, And help you, and also reach out to help you figure out if this thing you're feeling is God calling you to act. Now, in my experience, there are two primary obstacles that keep people like you and me from engaging in the work of faith, from stepping out and jumping in to the vacuum that we see. The first thing that makes us hesitate is accepting the truth that it's going to cost us something. When you commit to the work of love, when I commit to the work of love, when we move towards those in need, when we step into the vacuums of leadership that are all around us, there will be a price that has to be paid. If you contribute to the needs of the saints and pursue hospitality to strangers, if you love one another with mutual affection and outdo one another in showing honor, you will have less time and less resources to do the things you like to do and want to do and you will lose the respect of some people close to you, and you will face resistance from some people. There is a cost to leadership. The second obstacle, in my opinion, is accepting the truth that living out our faith in the real world will make our lives kinda messy. Far too often, the church has sold faith as a means to make life easier, And more manageable and I understand completely the temptation to pitch faith with this idea but it's simply not true look at the life of Jesus as preacher Tom long says when I think about what we might say to a younger generation about faith the first thing we should probably do is apologize to them for domesticating it so severely because faith is a whitewater adventure. Faith is the place where life gets really deep and really risky and full of adventure. Father Father Gregory Boyle founded Homeboy Industries in 1988 as a way to give gang members in LA a way to get off the streets and into a better life. He does this by offering gang members a new community, a new family, a new tribe that affirms their inherent value and worth. And he does this by giving them good and honest work to do. Father Boyle tells a story about a homeboy named Clever who at 22 years old was ready to put the gang life behind him. He was done. He wanted a way out. Now, before Homeboy Industries grew too big, Father Boyle used to walk all the new hires to their job site to introduce them to their new co-workers, their new family, their new tribe. One day, he was walking through Clever, Clever through the factory, and when he did, Boyle was amazed at how warm and gracious Clever was to both friends and even former members of opposing gangs. Clever was awesome and friendly and engaging, until he saw travieso. The minute those two locked eyes, it was obvious to everybody those two had a history. They just stood there, staring at their feet, refusing to acknowledge each other, hands in their pockets, their hearts closed as tight as their fists. Father Boyle was direct in his commentary on the situation. Look, he told them, if you two can't hang working together, let me know i got a grip of homies who would love to have this job. Clever and Travieso said nothing. The matter was settled. Six months later, Travieso found himself in an alley surrounded by members of an enemy gang. They beat him up badly. When he got to the hospital, Travieso was declared brain dead and placed on life support. The doctors waited for 48 hours to secure a flat reed before they could declare him deceased. Father Boyle recalls, in those first 24 hours, I'm in my office late at night, and the phone rings. It's clever. Hey, he said, that's messed up. About what happened to Travieso. Yeah, it is, Boyle says to him. Father, is there anything, anything I can do? Can I, can, I give him, can I give him my blood? Boyle writes, This offer sucks the breathable air out of the atmosphere for both of us. We can feel each other tremble in the silence. Clever takes the lead and punctures the quiet with great resolve and unprotected tears. Father, he was not my enemy. He was my friend. We worked together. The work of love will cost us something, and it's going to make our lives messy. To work for solutions, real solutions in a divided, polarized, and fearful world will alter the landscape of our lives. But. Isn't that why we're here on Labor Day weekend with all these people? Aren't we here because we believe in this crazy, absurd idea, this idea that God so loves the world so much that God not only sent Jesus into it, God's Son, but aren't we here because we believe that God sends us out into the world as well? Doing the work of love, the work of faith, the work that Paul describes in this letter, it's not easy. If it was, anybody would do it. Fortunately, we're not anyone. We are those that know that we are loved and claimed by the living God, who equips ordinary people like you and me to do amazing things. Let's get to work.